The presenting sponsor of The Audible is Trader Joe's. And Bruce, I know you've taken the time to check out Inside Trader Joe's. It's a five-part podcast series that takes you literally inside Trader Joe's. Go inside the TJ's tasting panel. Travel to wineries in Napa Valley and around the world to discover the next great Trader Joe's products. Discover why they wear those super fashionable Hawaiian shirts. You'll find Inside Trader Joe's on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the latest edition of The Audible. I am Bruce Feldman, joined as always by my colleague Stuart Mandel. And Stu, I think the guy we're going to have on today, I'm pretty sure it's your favorite guest we've ever had on The Audible. It is. It's our friend Joe Tessitore from ESPN. He's been, I mean, frankly, a longtime friend and guest going back to when, before The Audible, when I had a podcast over at SI. And it's, But it's a little bit bittersweet. We are so happy for him and this huge milestone for him. He is now the voice of Monday Night Football, but it means we're losing him from college football. So, Joe, we wanted to bring you on, and, and well, before we get into that, first of all, if I haven't had a chance to say it already, congratulations. Thank you, Stu, and thank you, Bruce. Always great to be with you. Now I don't know what to do with my first three weeks of July when we would be seeing each other at endless media days all over the country with every conference, but uh, it's going to be going to be pretty awesome doing Monday nights, I'll tell you that. I listened to you on Richard Deitch's podcast a few weeks ago, and you guys, it was great. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> no. Well, first of all, I was just, I was personally flattered. You mentioned me in there, and, and not only that, I found out that you guys auditioned, I think you said 13 different potential yeah. analysts, yeah. and it sounds like you brought them all. You, like, they all got the same initiation of what a real Italian meal is that I got yes. when I visited many years they ago. They did. They did. The two of you have, have been to Connecticut, been to my house, been to the family restaurant. And it's funny, and I give a lot of credit to our folks here at ESPN, our, our leadership here, because they really did turn the keys over to Jay Rothman and me when it came to the Monday Night Football edition and say, listen, you guys are the ones that are going to have to feel the fit and the chemistry with who this person is, who ends up being the booth with you. And I just decided, all right, I'm going to be as authentic as I can be with each candidate that comes to Connecticut. And as you two know, for me, that means you're going to have basically a five-hour dinner with me that you have to survive. And it's going to be a tidal wave of good wine, a lot of appetizers, a lot of cheese, a lot of prosciutto, a lot of pasta, and then, uh, you know, cannolis. And during that entire span, you have to be able to talk ball. So, <laughs> you know, the uh, everybody that, but in the end, Booger and Jason Witten were kings of the hill. So we're thrilled to have him, Joe. Speaking of that uh, that Deitch podcast, it was I'm on the I'm on the elliptical. And I'm listening to this, and there was about a five minute discussion about Starbucks coffee and over roasting. Oh, uh, do you know how many times I've heard about that in the past month, Bruce? Everybody well, picks it, up on that section of the podcast. I will give you credit. You are about the only person I know who could have made it listenable. But when I heard that, as somebody who now is late, you know, late in life, all of a sudden started drinking coffee. And I like Starbucks coffee. It kind of had the same feeling when I think you were talking about chicken parm with a little bit right. of, of, <laughs> of inauthenticity and disdain. <laughs> and it just made me feel really, really less, less of a man. <laughs> now, here's the deal. I drink a lot of Starbucks in the course of a year, but I felt like I was being pressed and forced to make a cogent argument 
as to the realities of Starbucks espresso and coffee compared to perhaps a more boutique roasted coffee. And I, I think I got some people's attention. I, this is the problem with having had a father-in-law who is basically a coffee sommelier who roasted coffee was an Ivy League educated literature scholar who decided, no, I'd like to roast coffee beans for the next 50 years of my life. So I, I was subjected to these conversations nonstop uh, while we had them for his passing. And, you know, Deitch asked, I answered, and now you know that I feel that there's a, a uniform code of Starbucks to just simply over-roast your coffee so it all tastes the same. It's like a well-done steak in every restaurant. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. I drink Starbucks every single day. Yeah. But that doesn't mean I'm well, not willing to try something coffee. new. There you go. I mean, uh, if you want to see a look of disdain, Stu, it's the person who I say, let's go grab a cup of coffee and espresso. Like, I don't drink coffee. That's the real disdain. That was Bruce up until, like, up until he became a sideline reporter. Yeah, <laughs> everybody really. can change and better themselves. Joe, for those of us who know you as the voice of college football, had you been looking for a while to make that move to the NFL, or is this an opportunity? No, not no. once. No, not once do I was as contented as to be life with Todd Blackledge and Holly Rowe and during the college football playoff at the Saturday night prime was really, really everything that I wanted. I reached a point in my career where, and somebody who I went to college reminded me of this recently. I was at a charity golf tournament. I bumped into them and they said, I can remember when you were in college Somebody saying, what do you think you're going to be doing in your career? And you said, well, I'll be, I'll be the voice of Monday Night Football at some point. But I went along my career, and you know my passion for college football and all the, the blessing I have had in working in our sport category. I was contented as could be. The opportunity came along. I was approached. I was offered. And I knew that there were probably only two to three jobs that I would ever leave college football for, and I still had to give it great thought in doing so, but Monday night football was on top of that list. So, Joe, once you start preparing, and, and you know, we talked about it's going to be Jason Witten and, and Booger McFarland with you and Lisa Salters. How do you approach it when you're getting up to speed? You are so entrenched in college football, and I know, I know. Yeah. just for years, in a way that I think a lot, not always play-by-play people are, in terms of knowing the coaches and living college football, and even if it, you know it was, you were doing boxing, you were still entrenched in college football. So how do you? Obviously, these guys had played in college football. Now they're in the NFL, and a lot of the coaches there's a little bit of overlap. But what has been the biggest challenge for you shifting gears? Because there's really not a lot of time between the SEC basketball tournament and your first Monday night game. You know, Bruce, I basically just decided to take the same approach which, as you guys know, because we would bump into each other all over the country, that means that there is no off-season, that in your spring, you go to spring practice, you go to the conference meetings, you go to media days, you do everything. If you're in a town and you're within driving distance, you go and visit a coach, a program, an athletic director. So I just changed gears and said, okay, so that means I'm going to Orlando for the NFL owners' meetings. I'm attending every dinner. I'm going to every cocktail party. I'm shaking every hand. I'm hanging out in the lobby, going to the patio introducing myself, cultivating relationships. I'm going to the whole week of the NFL draft, whether I'm on the air or not, to grow relationships, to spend time, to you know foster all of that. And it's just been nonstop. Now, I will tell you this. The interesting thing is that, and you guys know this, in working in college football, I felt compelled that that meant a great emphasis on the Power Five conferences, so you're 60-plus there, and then the other 50-plus teams always keeping on top of. When you get it down to 32 teams, 
Yes, it's a more scrutinized, highly covered sport, but it is more manageable because of that and the amount of coverage that there is and the fact that we don't have all the turnover that happens in college football. So by by being down to by whittling it down to 32, it's more manageable. It still doesn't mean that I'm not anxious when I look at that calendar and I know we're going to be hitting the road on August 7th and doing preseason games and then here comes September 10th. There aren't enough minutes in the day for me right now. But just the same approach of cultivating great relationships and studying nonstop and viewing every day that I get up as a day to get better, learn more, know more, and be one with it. I would think one notable difference, you tell me, I mean, obviously, any time you broadcast a game or an event, you're telling a story. And oftentimes in college, because of the player turnover you mentioned, the story is the coaches, right? It's it's Urban versus Harbaugh. Yeah. It's, it's uh, yeah. you know, Saban versus LSU when that was still a deal or Saban versus one of his former assistants. And then with the exception of maybe a Johnny Manziel, Jameis Winston, the emphasis is not as much on the individual players. But I got to think in the NFL, outside of Bill Belichick, that script is completely flipped. Yeah, it is. I do want to, you know, I do want to mention one other thing during this this time and this offseason that you guys are asking about, and that is the role of Jason Witten and Booger McFarland. So, as much as you ask me about um, cultivating the relationships, knowing the information, feeling as though that the comfort with me of being the college football expert I was now turns into the NFL expert that I need to be. Witten and Booger have been a huge part of that process because we feel very confident that as a team, we're going to accomplish that together. So what's been happening over the course of these months is there have been very few weeks that go by where I'm not flying down to Dallas. They're not coming to Connecticut. We're not meeting up in New York. We are doing rehearsal games, dinners, offsite seminars, watching our competition, watching full, taking five hours to sit back and watch the AFC championship game called by CBS, the NBC Super Bowl, the Fox divisional playoff game, scouting ourselves, going back and watching games with Blackledge and, and myself, watching their work. We are constantly working all off season and bonding. And you know how good of a broadcaster Booger is and somebody who won two Super Bowls and played in two Super Bowls and, and has had great success you know, with us already. And then Witten being a decade and a half perennial all pro and the role he plays in the NFL and how respected he is and the relationships he has, we feel like we're in really good shape because we're going to be this trio that accomplishes it together rather than having to stand on our own and climb a mountain of, of the scrutiny and, and what comes along with Monday Night Football. Hey, Joe, for a lot of people who first really came to know you, if they didn't know you from from Friday night fights or, or anything like that, but they got to know you from the Friday night games. It was you and Rod Gilmore and there were fireworks, yeah. you know, and it felt like, felt like you were in Boise, you were doing like Boise State, Nevada game a lot. When you look yes. back at this time, now that you're moving on, just, you know, we are obviously college football podcast. What are your most fond memories of the things that really resonated with you on your experiences of having that great seat and being able to, to tell stories about the game that's unfolding in front of you? Well, I think for the three of us, of our generation of those who have been infused with college football, I do think it's been fun to have a front row seat to the sport going to the next level. I think our three careers paralleled 
college football's ascent as the second biggest sport in America, right? Because we live through conference realignment, the money surge in salaries, in, in what teams were receiving, in broadcast rights fees. We live through the escalation of promotion and awareness and relevance of the sport. Even now, it always was huge, but in the last 15 years, 10 years, five years, and then we lived through the discussion and debate of a college football playoff and then have watched the college football playoff become what it now is on the American sports landscape. So for me, I would say it's just, it's just taking this ride with the sport for a decade and a half now. When it comes to when I think to, of memories, there's no denying, and I know, you know Stu has talked about it for years and we've discussed it for years, but I was so blessed that I was always attached to these ridiculously crazy, exciting games. And, and personally, for me, I'll, I'll still never forget. And I could, I could list 20 of them, but I'll never forget the 24 hours of the Oklahoma State upset when they were getting ready to play for the BCS title, the Iowa State double overtime, sitting up there with Sam Ponder and Rod Gilmore, getting on a plane, meeting up with Matt Millen and Aaron Andrews to do the ABC prime when RG3 upset Oklahoma on a last-second pass. But the, those, that 24 hours of my career was beyond anything that I'll probably ever experience again. And that would be the highlight, Bruce. I mean, I've talked about this with you on a podcast before, I'm sure, but I don't know, maybe most people haven't heard this, but what do you think about, I mean, it, how crazy is it that you had that, you know, you were you were associated with several games, most notably that Boise State-Nevada game. I remember a, a it was an all-timer. Penn State-Michigan yeah. game that came down to missed Four field overtime. goals. There's a lot of missed games. It seemed like you had a lot of games that ended on missed field goals. And now coming full yeah. circle... Your son is about to be a college kicker. In 36 hours, we drop him off to Steve Adazio. And, wow. Uh, he looks nothing like it's funny. You, you know, it's, I've been very reflective this week. But yesterday, I was on the field that he's trained on now for years here in Connecticut, his home field. And it was the last time he would be training on that field. And to think that we started in fifth grade with him kicking and punching over shrubs and now we're lining up the ball 47 yards away, and I'm saying, why don't you try to hit it up there on that light pole, that two-foot-wide light pole, and he's thudding it off the light pole, and the kid's you know, squatting 365 pounds and looking like he should be playing strong safety, and it's, it's this moment in my life where definitely a, a change and very reflective, and we'll see how, much, see how much mom and dad can hold up on Saturday when we, uh, when we check in and drop him off to the Eagles on Saturday for his summer course and lifting and getting ready. We won't see him again until we won't have him back here in Connecticut probably until after his bowl game. So that's a lot of life change. It's not, I mean, your, your daughter yes. is still going to be, it's not like you're empty nesters, but you know, your only son, your, your first child is now going off to college, your alma mater. Yes. You play the sport you used to yes. broadcast. And now you're moving on to, what for, you know, I mean, I'm a little older than Stu and Joe and I are about the same age, but just like, I mean, Monday Night Football was it. I mean, that was was the broadcast job. How much are you, I know you don't have a ton of time to do this, but how much are you kind of like, man, there's a lot of stuff going on right now in my world. Do I have time to kind of reflect and savor it, or is it just going so fast you're just trying to keep up with it? I've had very, very little time to reflect because it has been moving so fast. But I think Saturday when we drop them off at BC, I'll, I'll pause there and we'll celebrate that moment, and, and it'll feel pretty special. And then I hope it feels pretty special when, now that I'm doing Monday nights, I can sneak off to some of those Thursday and Friday and maybe an early ACC noon kickoff and watch him play. We'll see if that happens this fall. That team could be very sneaky good with A.J. Dillon and Zach Allen, and 
and uh, some of the uh, the nine, I believe, potential draft picks that Mel Kuyper says could be coming off that roster. We will see. Yeah, I agree. I think, uh, you know, Clemson's obviously the, the team to beat in that division, and, and we'll see how quickly Taggart gets things going again at Florida State, but there's an opportunity there for, for your guys to win some games. What do you think Saturdays will be like for you, though, now? Like, you don't have a game. Well, we do. Uh, I know, you know <laughs> It's so funny because we tip Witten, Booger, and I will, and at least we'll fly in on Saturdays, and you know we will meet with the home team on Saturday afternoon. But I've already told the guys, I said we can do those meetings and we'll get them done. But just know this: that the ESPN app will be running pot on my phone all day long, and then we've got to get someplace to a great steakhouse and someplace that's got you know some good TVs because I am locking in. I plan on consuming as much college football as I always have. The difference now being is that at 7.30 or 8 o'clock on a Saturday night, I don't have to be working it. So I, I just want to have fun being a fan again. And I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to that. Hey, Joe, just the last one for me is as you're you know, kind of making this walk and, and shift, everybody knew you, you know, the, the passion you had for it. And it, it just came right through the TV. The NFL... Is it okay? You're going to be you, but is there any part of you is like, okay, the broadcast is different, or is it just, hey, I'm going to bring the exact same approach and I'm going to be me, and and you're going to get what I am, or is there any part of you that, you know, the NFL feels like it's been buttoned up? You just feel like yes, a different level of enthusiasm. How do you approach it? Yeah, and so that's why I answered the question of there were probably only about two, maybe three jobs I would have ever left doing the college football primetime and playoff for and Monday night being one of them, because I, I do believe that all college football games are standalone events that can take my personality and my style, being a passion-based broadcaster of the pageantry and everything that goes along with college football. And I do think the NFL is more of a daily narrative that the whole nation keeps up with, and then these games happen, and we write the next chapter or next script to that narrative, with the exception that I do think what Al Michaels and Chris do on Sunday night and what Whit Boog and Lisa and I will do on Monday nights still can feel that way. They still are promoted as it. They're standalone windows. You're getting the better matchups, which this year we, we are really in good shape with the schedule. The NFL, I think, has done us a real solid. I think they're feeling good about where we are and what's going to happen for years to come here at ESPN. And uh, I really like the way the schedule shapes up. But I am authentically going to be me, Bruce, with the exception that I'm going to be very conscious of being more global and in the NFL narratives, the storylines coming out of the day before the big picture of the NFL and, and keeping that arc continuing through the thread of Monday night football. But I know no other way than to broadcast with juice, with urgency and with passion when it comes to the sport. It's who I am. It's the sport I love. So I'm just going to deliver it that way. Real quick, is there a city? We know you know the the cuisine, the best places to eat in every college town in America. Yeah. But is there a city on your Monday night football schedule this year that you've either never been to or haven't spent enough time in, and you're just you can't wait to get there and, and sample sample the local offerings? Well, I mean, Whitten is hyping up his steakhouse in Dallas when we go do the Monday nighter down in Dallas. So he better be bringing it there because he's hyped this place up, and we'll see what he comes up with. You know, I've got I've got a dear friend in Denver who's my college roommate who I'm looking forward to seeing, and he's got his spot there that he always takes me to. And then anytime you get a New Orleans home game, I'm all the way in. So having coming off the Sugar Bowl, 
and and gained about five pounds there. I'm looking forward to that trip back down there to New Orleans. But obviously, with it, you know, the barbecue run may be over, but the better big city steakhouse, Great Cabernet, is in full gear now. All right, Joe. On that note, I think we have to we have to uh, say we're going to talk to you next time, and we're going to have to find a way to work you in. Maybe we'll be talking about a lot of ACC football with your inside. We could be, yeah. <laughs> We'll be talking about BC's BC's run to the college football playoff. Oh, please. Let's make that happen. What do we have to do? Let's get that upset at Clemson. Let's go for it. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Joe. Always a pleasure. Thanks so much for coming on. Thank you, guys. Thanks, Joe. Appreciate you greatly. Back to the podcast in a second. But first, Bruce, our colleague at The Athletic, Richard Deitch, sent a tweet earlier this morning, just kind of a random one, mentioning that a lot of people in our profession have insomnia. And I'm going to suggest to these people that they check out our sponsor, Lisa. It would be a problem no more because a quality night's sleep helps you recover from distractions faster, prevents burnout, makes better decisions, improves your memory, and overall, you'll make fewer mistakes. Lisa designs a better mattress. They average 30-plus years of experience and hundreds of hours testing to develop the perfect mattress for all body shapes and sleeping styles. And I'm sure you agree they've achieved that. No doubt, Stu. It is the best mattress I have ever slept on, and I am so thankful that Lisa is a Audible sponsor. Not only the Audible sponsor, but the deals they offer here are just tremendous. Check this one out. Don't miss their summer savings. You can get $160 off of a Lisa mattress right now at lisa.com slash audible. These, that number just keeps going up, and I'm wondering if by the end of the summer they're going to be free. Right now, again, the deal is $160 off a Lisa mattress. That's at lisa.com slash audible, L-E-E-S-A, lisa.com slash audible. Always great talking to Joe, and now I think, Bruce, it's time for us to get to the mailbag. As always, you can send your emails to theaudiblepod at gmail.com. Bruce, let's, this first one comes from Johnny She, and it involves a story I don't think we've had a chance to... Uh, talk about on the podcast yet he asks us what do you think about the oddly public statement by oklahoma state's mike holder about mike gundy's recruiting the first thing that came to mind to me was a machiavellian move by holder if gundy does poorly next year with a new quarterback that's part of the reason to push him out if holder inserted a burr into gundy's saddle then next year it'll push gundy to jump ship in the yearly dance gundy does with potential head coaching jobs in the power five is Holder maybe tired of giving Gundy that yearly pay raise to keep him in town? They've always had a little bit of friction or maybe a, a, more than a little bit. But I'm sorry. I mean, Mike Gundy has done a pretty remarkable job there. And find fault with whatever you want with recruiting. He's developed and evaluated players really well. Like I would – a lot of guys that Mike Gundy apparently thought were four- and five-star guys, the online recruiting guys thought were three-star guys – I wouldn't hold. I wouldn't blame him. I mean, he's won 30 games the last three years. He's had a bunch of double-digit win seasons. I think since 2010, 11 wins, 12 wins, 8 wins, 10 wins, 7 wins, 10 wins, 10 wins, 10 wins. That's impressive. I, I don't care. I mean, I just think this is a bad look by the AD. And if you're trying to force Mike Gundy out, by the way, also, when Tennessee came after him, Mike Gundy, Oklahoma didn't ask for them to pay him like what Tennessee probably would have paid him. I mean, it was a, I don't want to call it a modest raise, but it was not an outrageous raise considering how much he's won. And I think he wants to be there. I know that he spends a lot of time at the 
big place he had built there, not far from, from work. And everything I've heard from the guys who work for him say he's really, really comfortable and settled. I'd be surprised if he ever left. I think it's on the AD to, to make it right. I, I think we can agree that um, he shouldn't have said those things publicly. It, it's never good to undermine your coach. And I do think it's been a bizarre... I mean, he's been there for 13 years now, and it seems like there's always some sort of bizarre comment from either him or, more notably, T. Boone Pickens that kind of seems unnecessary given how much success he's had there, how much he's raised the profile of the program. Now, I will say I wrote about this in the mailbag, and I hadn't really bothered to look into his recruiting rankings until writing Why this. would you? Because he averages like 10 wins a season. Why would you do a postmortem on that? I mean, you wouldn't, but I will say I was really surprised. You know, it's one thing when you're first starting out, but they've been they've had such sustained success for so long now, and their classes still rank in the 30s and 40s behind teams like North Carolina. Baylor's beaten them a couple years recently, and so I do question why that's still the case. And I think also, that, honestly, Stu, I think that's more a case of the recruiting guys who, when they find out. Nick Saban has offered somebody, or Urban Meyer has offered somebody that carries a lot of weight, which I think it should. But if you find out Oklahoma State does, it's almost looked at as the same way as Texas Tech has. Like, it carries no weight. And I would go back to this. Who had the best receiving core in the country last year? Top well, of bottom. If you're saying, if you're trying to make an argument that, that, that Gundy does a great job developing the guy. No, I'm, make, I'm also making the point that when a kid is committed to Oklahoma State, it doesn't carry the same weight with the recruiting sites to boost their stock. I mean, I go back to this example. When Ole Miss had Drake Nevis committed, and he was a Louisiana kid, and he ended up being a really good player for LSU, he was a three-star guy. As soon as LSU decommitted and LSU offered, he became a four-star guy. He didn't automatically just get better. It was like that's part of their the evaluation process. All right, And that's so, why I think it's hindering Oklahoma State. Well, my point was that they've done it on offense, but they've been so bad on defense year in and year out that maybe, you know, and that's a side of the ball where it's harder to, you know, mask lack of talent with scheme. So, look, I think, again, I don't think he should have said it, but I don't think he's completely wrong. I think he's completely wrong. Well, no, no, wait a minute. His point was that this puts a ceiling on them, and he's right. They're never going to be able to win a national championship recruiting classes in the 30s and 40s. Now, maybe that's never been a realistic goal for Oklahoma State. But if you've reached this point and you're looking to take the next step, well, the next step for Oklahoma State is make the playoff, contend for a national championship. You're not going to do that with this kind of talent level. And I'll give you a cool stat that I didn't use in the mailbag, but Barry Trammell had it in his column. All right, you want to disagree with the recruiting rankings, fine. But I think you and I would both agree that NFL draft picks is a pretty good measure of what kind of talent you had. Would you believe that for all those wins... And I think they've had 10 wins all but two seasons this decade. 19 players drafted in the last 10 years. 1.9 per season. I would not have guessed that either. Yeah, again, I mean, I don't think... I mean, look, Oklahoma State... uh, Oklahoma State compared to Oklahoma. You want to flip it on defense. Oklahoma typically has highly ranked classes. Oklahoma State had a better defense last year. Oklahoma State basically had the same had a, the same defense two years ago. It's not like I feel like you know this is a, as much a Big Twelve thing as anything. I just thought it was a stupid a stupid thing to broach by the AD. I think we can agree on that. 
Jonas from Toronto asks, which coaches are poised to get a step-up job if they have a big year? For me, it's Jeff Brom, Matt Campbell, and Justin Fuente. Uh, certainly, I think all those guys are, are hot commodities. In the case of Jeff Brom, it would be his second year at Purdue. I don't think he wanted to jump, and certainly not into the mess that was Tennessee, given that situation. But we're talking about one of the best offensive coaches in, in college football. Matt Campbell, what he's what he's doing at Iowa State, I was kind of shocked that he went there in the first place. But, I mean, his stock is high, and certainly Justin Fuente. I don't know, you know, of those, Justin Fuente's at the place where I could see him maybe spending more time. I don't know if I look at Virginia Tech as much as the stepping stone as those other places. Are there other ones you look at that kind of come to mind? At some point, somebody's going to notice my guy Scott Satterfield and what he's doing at Appalachian State. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, to me, the, those guys are not. I think what what's different with this question, as I interpret it, was it was Power Five guys. Certainly, Neil Brown, Scott Satterfield, as you mentioned. I think Jason Candle at Toledo. Those guys are going to get going to get bigger jobs. Okay, okay, you're right. You're right. Let's let's focus on Power Five then. I think those three. I want to say those three are. Well, I want to say the first two are, are pretty obvious, but what job would I mean? What would just first of all, what would Justin Fuente have to do at Virginia Tech this year to get that kind of boost his stock in that way? And what job do you leave Virginia Tech for? For the jobs that I think could come open, I don't see it. The one I had this conversation with a coach I know at lunch on Tuesday. I don't know this year is not going to. I don't think is going to have those big heavy jobs. You would need. You know, USC to have a dismal year for a, a real dud of a year for, for Lynn Swan to pull the plug. I just look at it. I think there are jobs that probably aren't better than the one Justin Fuente has that are the ones likely to come open. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, he's not going to leave Virginia Tech for Illinois. He's not going to leave Virginia Tech for, you know, Kansas. He's not going to leave Virginia Tech for Texas Tech if any of those come open. I just think it's a, such a different potential coaching carousel this year. I mean, you went into last season knowing that practically half the SEC coaches were on the hot seat, and they all ended up either getting fired or, in the case of Gus Malzahn, get a big, fat new contract. You know, the Pac-12 had huge changeover this past year. You look at just some of the names of the programs that had coaching changes last year, whether it is Florida, Nebraska, you know, Tennessee. I mean... I look at this year's list, and, and Noah, Michigan's not going to fire Jim Harbaugh, although I suppose it's always possible he would leave. So, I mean, Cliff Kingsbury, possibly, Texas Tech, obviously Kansas, Illinois. Maybe it's Maryland not, if they had a bad year. UNC. Maybe. There's not obvious big-name programs where the guy's on the hot seat. Are, yeah. yeah, East Carolina, Charlotte, these are not jobs that – you know, these are in most in a lot of cases they would be jobs that are lateral, if not step back jobs. So. Now, somebody could leave for the NFL that we're not expecting, and and that yeah. changes things. But right now, you're right. Not a lot of not a lot of opportunities there. Not just for Fuente, but for um, I mean, is there going to be a job that I, I think I think Purdue fans even are worried that they're going to lose Jeff Brom sooner than later. But you know, I think I think the obvious one there is if Petrino were to leave Louisville. Then I think, I mean, I think he's probably gone. But beyond that, I don't, I don't know that that kind of job will be open. Yeah, and if you're Bobby Petrino, like, where's he going to go? Who else is going to hire him? You know, I mean, it's not to say he's not, he's not a successful coach because obviously he is. But 
I don't know where he goes. And it's not like he has the NFL is going to touch him. It's just, and at his age, I think that's the last thing. It's like that that bodes well for Purdue for me. That like Bobby Petrino is kind of in that position where they know he's going to be pretty successful, and they know he probably won't leave. All right, I'm going to ask the next one. Yeah, this is from Andrew. Love the pod. One topic I'd love you guys to cover on the pod is the lack of on-field slash court results from most of the big schools which changed conferences this decade, such as Nebraska, Maryland, Mizzou, Texas A&M, Rutgers. These schools are largely geographic orphans in their conferences. Are the additional dollars they gain from switching conferences more important than any sustained competitive success? And if the answer is no, could you see one of these teams looking to switch conferences? First of all, I would not say that Missouri has had no success. Missouri won, played in back-to-back SEC championship games. I think, you know, yes, they've they've reverted since then, but I think they would say their their move to the SEC has been fruitful. Texas A and M, yeah, they've never lived, you know followed up on that first year, but that enthusiasm of that first year allowed them to expand the stadium, change their. You know, I feel like their recruiting profile is boosted. I don't think Texas A and M is having any regrets about having gone to the no. SEC. No, and I think they like being different from Tech. Like it's funny when I was thinking of this question, the two names that jumped out at me were were Nebraska and Texas A and M, and it was both almost like you feel like they're pretty. I think they'd probably be pretty glad to get away from Texas. Yeah, you know, the dynamic is as we've talked about a long time ago is you know old Big Eight versus Southwest Conference, and then it was like. You know, the old big big eight schools are kind of going into Texas's conference, and I think Nebraska made that move, and I think it's actually helped Nebraska quite a bit that the the Big Ten reshuffled its divisions to make it you know make it a little more manageable for them. You know, the one I look at is, and it had so much chaos in its you know in its athletic program and in its university. But is Rutgers? You and I both know that program pretty well because we spent a bunch of time around there. They obviously get a lot more money in the big in the Big Ten. They're in the bad division, meaning the loaded division. It's an uphill battle. It I is, know, I, but I think Rutgers, Maryland. This is Andrew's question, though. This yeah. is Andrew's question. Well, I'll answer the the point where he says: Are the additional dollars they gain from switching conferences more important than any sustained competitive success? Yes, for those two schools. I mean, Maryland. Was a both of those schools actually were just complete, you know, huge running up huge deficits, no great answers. Now I will say, like I think Rutgers is perfectly happy to be in the Big Ten. If you were to ask Maryland fans, and I know many Maryland fans, they're not thrilled about it. They, well, they left. They left more of a viable conference situation. They went from basically it was a lateral move. You know, like they went from a really strong basketball conference in the ACC to a, a football-heavy conference, whereas, you know, Rutgers was leaving was leaving a sinking ship. Maryland, like, if you're not familiar with that that place, and that, like, first of all, basketball is the, is the bigger sport, and the ACC used to be such a, like, kind of close-knit conference. Like, they loved playing UNC and Duke every year, Virginia. It, that was such a part of Maryland's identity. And what is it now? They play, you know, a bit a quote unquote big basketball game for them is against a school in Michigan. How much do you think the hire of Randy Edsel kind of torpedoed that program? Yeah, I was actually going to use that exact that 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 word too. 
kind of torpedoed that whatever momentum they could add. They, it's just kind of a mind-boggling hype. I mean, yes. Well, I don't. Yes, it was a mind-boggling hire. I'm thinking back to it now. I think the thing that, that irks Maryland fans the most, in hindsight, is that they had James Franklin there. He had even been named coach-in-waiting, and they let him get away and hired Randy Etzel instead, and obviously, look how that turned out. Yeah, that would be a, that would be a heck of a what-if if somebody wanted to play out. How much yeah. James Franklin could recruit his ass off, especially there. You know who? You know I. I don't know how many people knew James Franklin would be because I, as I said the other day, I think he's a top five coach in the country right now. Now maybe he still would have left for greener pastures though, but you know I think that program would have would have gotten some momentum as it went into the Big Ten. Now all that being said, is Maryland going to maybe want to leave the conference? No, I don't think so. I mean the big, you've seen the numbers come out recently. The Big Ten and the SEC are so far ahead of the others in terms of revenue that they're generating the ACC you know the fans are flat out panicking although I think that's unwarranted so it is what it is that's that's where those schools are going to be you know one though that's not even on his list West Virginia because West Virginia has actually had success in the Big 12 but with West Virginia you talk about a a school that's isolated from the rest of their conference and it's definitely caused you know a lot of strain like people always think you know we think about football first but think about the road trips all of their other teams have to take to those Texas and Oklahoma schools, especially sports that play in the middle of the week. I think that's a school that would love for there to be maybe a more geographically sensible option out there, but as of this moment, I'm not sure that exists. Uh, moving along, this question is from Joe Taylor. The pod is always great. Thank you. Thank you, Joe. Uh, with recent success of the Golden Knights in their first season, uh, I believe he's talking about the hockey team in the NHL, uh, and the arrival of the Raiders coming soon with their brand new stadium. Do you think UNLV can develop and become a group of five power, much like Boise State, UCF, and Houston? How likely does Vegas sports grow enough to help the Rebels become relevant? I think if UNLV can move out of that stadium that's out in the middle of the desert, that would be a great first start. I don't know how realistic that is, if the NFL team is going to let them share or not. It's been it's been one of those mysteries for a long time. Why isn't UNLV football better? And so I'm going to go ahead and say, I don't know if they're going to become a powerhouse, but I definitely think that the presence of the NFL and this this really good NHL team and frankly maybe even the fact that sports betting is coming elsewhere too. Like there's just a lot of positive sports vibes coming out of Las Vegas right now. And I think it hasn't helped UNLV in the past that there was a stigma about that place and and that the sports teams weren't allowed in there. Now that it's like they're like no different than any other city, they can they can have pro sports teams. They can, but they're very know. different from any other cities. So I had a conversation about this recently with a few coaches about UNLV. Now credit to Tony Sanchez, who was the local high school coach at Powerhouse Bishop Gorman. That is a great high school program, and there's there's a decent amount of talent in the state and certainly in Las Vegas. And so in his first three years, he went from three wins to four wins to five wins. So the program's trending upward. But the issue that you talk to a lot of people about this place is you're not far from L.A. You're not far from a lot of places where there's talent bases. The challenge is there are a massive amount of distractions there. And a lot of kids who want to go to school in Vegas, you wonder, are we, you know, the kids who are drawn to that? Is that going to, are you going to have to weed out a lot of kids whose focus isn't entirely on football? 
and, and going to school. And that's a different level of problem. You don't have, you can say there's temptations at a lot of places. It isn't Vegas. I mean, it's just not. There's nothing quite like it in college football in that dynamic. And over the years, there's been, you know, that program has, has struggled with that. I mean, they've had some good players. I mean, certainly Randall Cunningham came from there, among others. But that's the big challenge. And before that, I know from, you know, knowing some guys who, who interviewed for the job previously, their resources were so underwhelming they didn't have money for a lot of stuff. And then one of the Fertitas, who was behind the, uh, who's a big casino magnet in, in Las Vegas and is behind the UFC, who was really close to the Bishop Gorman program. His son had played there. And when they hired Tony Sanchez, that meant you know, quite a bit of influx and an improvement. But I still think it's not like you know, those other programs that, uh, that Joe Taylor had mentioned, you know, the, the Boise's, UCF, Houston, even though Houston isn't a you know metro metropolis, it's just not the Vegas thing, and that's why I'm skeptical. Do you think that the temptation and all that, like, if that's really the reason, is that also why Tulane football has never hasn't been very good in a long time? I just don't think it's looked at it the same way. If you mention Vegas to a 17 year old, they're you know that's all they know is like the glitzy nightlife. You mentioned New Orleans to a lot of kids from Louisiana, I don't think they think of it the same way as Vegas did. I think yeah. you may think of it as, oh, there's great restaurants and there's, you know, it's a, it's Bourbon, Bourbon Street. Street. There's that. It's not Vegas though. It's yeah. just, a, to me, it's not this, it's, it's un- unlike anything else. Yeah. Real quick, we got a couple comments here. Ryan from Pittsburgh. Well, he has two comments. First of all, he can't believe that the Athletic doesn't have an email address for the Audible podcast. Come on, get your staff on this pronto. And uh, I would just say that the email address of the at gmail.com actually existed before the company, The Athletic, did. So we've been hanging on to that one for a while. You guys didn't mention the cradle of coaching Miami University and the group of five stadiums to visit. It's one of the most beautiful settings in the fall you can possibly get. You ever been to uh, Oxford for a game? Not that, not that Oxford. I have not. Have you? Have you been to a game in the other Oxford? Uh, yes, I have. Okay. What about the one across the pond? Uh, no, I've only been to Ireland. I've actually never been over there. I've been to their campus because I grew up, you know, 45 minutes away. But no, I have not attend- had the pleasure of attending a football game there. I don't think they draw very big crowds, but that doesn't mean it's not maybe a bit of a picturesque setting. Sam Callan, Bruce, the correct pronunciation of Appalachian State is... Appalachian, not Appalachian. And okay. Boone is a pretty cool place. He's a 1988 grad. And finally, this is not the only one of these I got from John Polzer. Way to go, Bruce. Keep Stu in line about the referring to it as your st- as my staff. Oh, thank you very much. I, I'm, I'm just doing it for the little people, John. For all the people who are like under Stu's thumb for the last nine months were like man what an ego trip this guy has been on you know i didn't really think much of it when i said it in real time but when i listened to it back i winced and i just want to apologize to all those great people on my staff uh, our staff (laughs) as always you can send your questions to the at gmail.com we'll see you next time if you enjoy our podcast and you haven't subscribed yet what are you waiting for subscribe to the audible on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, wherever you get your podcasts. 
leave a five-star review while you're there. We'd like to thank our presenting sponsor for 2018, Trader Joe's. We'd also like to thank our producer, Nick Fink. Our theme song is Dangerous by Kevin and the Octaves. You can download their music on iTunes or Spotify. You can subscribe to my college football website, The All-American, by going to theathletic.com slash theaudible, where you get a 25% discount and a seven-day free trial. Follow Bruce at Bruce Feldman CFB on Twitter. You can follow me at SL Mandel. See you next time. Money in the New York Stock Exchange.